And uh, for me and my family, first I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I, I've, and, and I mean this with all my heart, I've, we've never felt uh, the love of a church family so much than we have with this one. Uh, we've had a really exciting week. Uh, on Sunday, I was a resident of the northeast part of the country where there's smog and a lot of people, a lot of different accents and a lot of traffic. And now coming to this Sunday, I, I, I live in Ohio where there's none of that at all. And uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, um, we've, uh, we've had an exciting week. Our, our moving truck uh, decided that they wanted to, uh, they, they liked our stuff, so they wanted to keep it safe for us to the end of the week. And so our, so our boxes got here yesterday, and um, so I started moving my boxes into the, uh, the church office, and so when I was all done, I thought, okay, uh, I'll start unpacking these things Monday, and then we go into our basement, and there's eight more boxes for my office. And so I know my way around here pretty well, just by going back and forth. Um, but we're really, really excited to be here. And so uh, you guys have heard a little bit about my testimony over the past uh, few months since our, our last transition out of, uh, out of our, our, our last church into now. Um, a lot of it wasn't really uh, the way that we would want it, and a lot of it uh, led to me having to get a secular job for a few months. But one of the things that I started thinking about as I get ready to, to come uh, here after you guys graciously called me to, uh, to, to this role was now, you know, it's time to get back at it. You know, I had the opportunity to preach several times and, and uh, be on several podcasts and preach at several different events, but to pastor a church, the thing that God called me to, I realized that this was something that I hadn't done in a while, and so I had to start thinking about what it meant to get back at it. And then I started thinking about this. A lot of us, every time the school year ends and we get into this summer season, a lot of us just kind of take a break, you know? And we, some of us, if you're honest... Our vibrant Christian life has become semester-based. And we get to the summer, and for some reason we think, you know, um, that, you know, things kind of get to, you know, just be laid back. And I'm not talking about going on vacation, because you could be a godly, vibrant Christian on vacation. I'm talking about when you think about your level of spirituality when it comes to prayer, when it comes to Bible reading, when it comes to telling other people about Jesus, for some reason... We like to take a break. And what I'm here to tell you is that when you and I start taking breaks longer and longer and we get further away from the Lord, the, the, the way the Bible describes that, the way that most of us have probably heard it described, is being someone who is going what? Backslidden, right? And just let's think of that phrase for a second. What does it mean to be backslidden? It means for us to slide back from where we were. And so it's our, it's our privilege and it's our blessing to be able to get back to where we were and then go further in our faith. The thing is this, do we want that? That's my question for us this morning. That's my question for us as we go through this transition, as, as, as we, um, we honor Pastor Randy and now that, that how I, I am been called to this role, do, do we want what God has for us? Are we, are we satisfied with just where we are? Is there anything that you'd like to do as a next step or a next level of your Christianity? Or, or do you just think status quo is where God wants us? This is the thing. And I know you know this. I know this in my own personal life, especially in the last five months. When I think that I've done enough and everything is going to be okay, 
the sliding back begins. Because as a child of God, either we're moving forward for Jesus or we're going backwards. There is no just standing still. And what the disciples found out after Jesus was uh, arrested and captured and tortured and beaten and died on the cross, until they saw him again, there were many of the disciples, those who would later be called apostles, that backslid. And so what I want to share with you is something from John 21, and then we're going to go into Philippians chapter 3 to talk about what it means to come back from backsliding. And so what I want us to see is this. When our lives are busy and when our lives are full of, of different things like commitments and schedules, even in the summertime, this is the thing. Jesus, and I want you to hear me, Jesus is not supposed to be first. Okay, he said, whoa, all right, we picked the wrong guy. What do you... Jesus is not supposed, what do you mean? Jesus is not supposed to be first. Jesus is supposed to be everything. Jesus, if you put Jesus on the top of a list, guess where Jesus could go on that list? Number two, number three. Let me ask you a question. How would you cross Jesus off your list of things to do? So he can't be number one. He has to be central. He has to be like the Bible says, that he is preeminent in our life. That everything we do, whether it's our job, whether it's our marriage, whether it's the way we raise our kids, whether it's how we hang out, whether it's how we do church, Jesus has to be everything. Because if Jesus is everything, then I'm not everything. If Jesus is everything, then you're not everything. And so when you and I fight about stuff, because I'm going to get you upset. There are going to be some things that I do that you're not going to like. I am going to mess up. I am going to fail you. But if Jesus is everything, and you're not everything, and I'm not everything, we can clear that up pretty quick, amen? This is where the crux of our spiritual life needs to come. This is, it's Christianity 101, but I think it's also Christianity just, just central. This is ground zero. Is Jesus everything? I want you to think about that. Let, let, let's take a moment of solitude and let's think about that. Let's answer that question in our hearts and our minds. Is Jesus really everything? The next question should come up. What does that mean then? If Jesus is everything. Not just first. Not just the majority. Everything. For these disciples, and I'm, if you know anything about the story of, of the life of Christ, these disciples left everything to follow him. Some of them left because they recognized that he was the Messiah. Some of them left what they were doing because they thought that he was going to liberate them from Roman occupation. They thought a lot about Jesus, and disciples followed him, and some of them followed them with their entire lives. Some of them would even say things like, I would give my life for you. And one of the guys that said that was a guy by the name of Peter. And then Peter, when Jesus is arrested, winds up not, not only... I'm going to break things while I'm here. And I dropped the mic. All right, good. So when he got... When, when, when Peter goes right before Jesus is... Right after Jesus is arrested, Jesus tells something to Peter right before he goes, you, you know, you're going to deny me three times. Now, I want you to think about this. You are gung-ho about Think about the thing you're gung-ho the most for. For a lot of you, it may be Ohio State. Some of you, it may be Michigan. For some weird people, it's Kansas City. But, like, you guys are like, like, imagine all of a sudden some, 
Pastor Randy, imagine if somebody said you will deny Kansas City three times, right? I mean, that just seems like there's no way. Think about somebody who gives their life and, and they're following Jesus. They're going to say, I'm going to give, I, I give my life for you. And then he says, you are going to deny me. And I'm going to tell you how many times you're going to deny me. Peter thought Jesus was nuts. And then we see as soon as it happens, the bird crows three times. And Peter recognizes what he's done and he's devastated. Devastated so much. Here's where we pick up in John 21. So if you're with me, John 21, we're going to read the first 14 verses. John 21, the Bible says this. After this, Jesus reveals himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two of the other disciples were together. And here's what Simon Peter says. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Okay, now here's the thing, right, for retired people, this is, yeah, you know, I'm going golfing, I'm going fishing. You know, you know, we're going to have to hear about this from Randy a lot, right? There's going to be Facebook posts about all the cool things he's doing, right? Okay, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, Peter is going back to what he used to do. If you know anything about Simon Peter before, before Jesus calls him, he's a fisherman. And the thing is, he was kind of like a conniving fisherman, he wasn't really that good. A lot, every time you read about Peter fishing, he never has fish in his net. Right? He's like, you know, he, he's not that good of a fisherman. But when all of these things happen and Jesus is supposedly gone and he's denied him, he's with his, his friends, the ones that were there at the beginning, and he says this, I'm going back to what I used to do. So this is one of the dangerous things about us taking a summer break from our vibrant Christian walk we wind up going fishing. We wind up going back to what we used to do. Have you ever, have you caught yourself? When you start backsliding, all of a sudden your mouth may be a little looser and you say those choice words that you shouldn't say or you start going the way home that you used to go and you, that you decided not to go that way anymore and all of a sudden you're going back that way. All of a sudden you see someone of the opposite sex and you've tried really hard and you've gotten victory and all of a sudden you're starting to have those thoughts that you used to have. You're at your job and all of a sudden you're griping and complaining when you said, you said you'd be a lighthouse there. And all of a sudden now you're griping and complaining. The backsliding has begun. And for, for Peter it's I'm going fishing. Now think about this for a second. What is so wrong with going fishing? What is so wrong with going back? What's so wrong about making a living? I mean, man, the leader's gone, right? I have to go back to what I know. Here's the thing about being a child of God, and I hope you understand this, and I hope, I hope this is true for you. Once we've come to Jesus, just like that great old spiritual says, there's no turning back. If you can leave Jesus and go back to what you used to do, I'd say you may not have had Jesus. You may have tasted him, you may have gotten involved in religion, but if you truly understand what Jesus Christ did for you, there's no way we can go back to what we used to be. And so Peter's going to have to learn this himself, and so he goes, I'm going fishing. So here's a question for you this morning as we get into the text. Have you gone fishing? I was going to ask you. Have you gone fishing? 
has that backsliding already started? If you look, let me ask you, let me put it this way. If you can pinpoint a time in your life where you were closer to Jesus than you are right now, my friend, you and I are not where we're supposed to be. You may say, I was younger, I had more time, I had this or that. If you can think of a time where you were more in love with your Savior than right now, I want you to listen to what the Word of God has for you. For those of us that think, hey, everything's great, everything's fine, we need to listen too because as soon as we start saying things like everything's okay, everything's fine, what begins to happen? We start taking that break and we start coasting spiritually. So here's the thing about good friends. Here's what his friends say to him. He says, I'm going fishing and here's what his friends told him. We're coming with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught what? Nothing. You know what's interesting about when we go back to what we think is safe, when we go back to what we think we know? We never realize how empty that life was until something has to happen for us to experience it. For them, it was a night of doing what? Catching nothing. For some of us, it's so severe, we go back to what we used to be, and then all of a sudden, we recognize that we fell into the same trap and the same sin that we did before. The very thing that we knew was, was that breaking point for us, that rock bottom, we go right back to it. And so, I pray for us, if we are in this state of fishing, that the fall is at least padded by grace. For them, it was just a night of not catching fish. What will it be for us if we continue down this path of just coasting in our Christianity? So, uh, verse 4 says, When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. One of the things that I've recognized in my life, and hopefully you have as well, is that when I'm in a backslidden state, I'm not looking for Jesus. But thank God, he's looking for us. If it wasn't for the grace of God, where would you and I be today? My friends, it didn't have to be this way. You know that, right? You could be in a ditch you could be living that life that you used to live. You could, your life could still be a mess right now if it wasn't for the mercy of God. You would be on your way to hell right now if Jesus didn't stoop down and find you and save you. If Jesus didn't take you out of that miry clay and establish your settings and put your feet on higher ground, you would be a mess. But just like he did when he first called them, this is deja vu. Jesus is there finding them. And Jesus is waiting for them on the shore. And the disciples did not know it was Jesus because in their mind, this is, this is something about our, our coasting spiritually. There does come this point where all of a sudden, even though we're not lost and we're not blind because we, we cannot lose our salvation, we tend to act like people who don't know Jesus, and so we act lost, and we act blind. And so now their vision's cloudy. They don't know exactly who Jesus is. And so he says, friends, he calls to them, you don't have any fish, do you? This is one of the things that uh, the word of God should do. It should cut 
to the point in your life. Just like the Bible says, the word of God is like a double-edged sword, right? It divides between the joints and the marrow. It divides between the soul and the spirit. What the Bible, what it's saying is, is that it gets deeper than anything in the world. That's why the word of God is the only thing that can change your life. That's it. And so when the word of God, when Jesus himself says, you don't have any fish, it's different than when another fisherman goes, hey guys, no fish again? It's not like that. This is Jesus going, you don't have what you went for because you're not supposed to be doing this. And they said, no, we have no fish. And I noticed at this point, and hopefully we get to this point of our life as, as, as we journey together as a church, that when Jesus speaks to us, our answers are clear and we don't make excuses. Thank God Peter didn't go, well, what had happened was, I was, you know, well, yeah, it was of course there's no fish. I mean, we're going to move over. We're going to get fish, man. No, he just goes, no, we don't have any fish. We have no fish. And so Jesus says to cast the net on the right. This is like the beginning of the gospel, right? All over again. It's the exact same story again. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. And so they did. And they were, again, what happens? Just like before, when Jesus first calls them, they're unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and this is John, he says to Peter, it is the Lord. The goodness of God, the Bible says, leads us to repentance. Now, Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody in Scripture. You know that, right? He preached about hell more than anyone else. But hell, fire, and brimstone preaching isn't the most effective when it comes to the Son of God. You know what brings us back to him? His goodness. Recognizing what God has done for us before. Recognizing that even though you think everything's okay, life was so much better. Not easier. Life was better when we were following Jesus. My friend, do you know that life is better when you follow Jesus? Not easier, doesn't mean you're gonna have more money, doesn't mean you're not gonna have health issues, but life is better when you follow Jesus. So when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he does something, okay? Now this is, this is what repentance looks like. He stops doing what he was doing and he goes back to the one who called him. He, he, he ties his outer clothing around him. He plunges into the sea and so he starts going to Jesus and since they weren't far from land, the other disciples came in the boat. They're bringing all the fish with them and when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. Even though they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus not only meets their need, Jesus not only tells them to come and eat with him, Jesus gives them a supply and makes sure nothing happens to that supply. The net doesn't tear, even though by all intents and purposes it should have. He allows them to keep the fish, and when they get to shore, he says, hey, the fish that I gave you, bring it and let's eat. Aren't you glad that, that we're not Jesus? Because what would you do to disciples who just completely dissed you when you got arrested? I mean, completely just like, I mean, like they acted like you didn't exist, Jesus. I don't know who that guy is. If it was you, how would you treat the disciples after that? 
I was on the cross. Where were you? I told you this stuff was going to happen. Why'd you leave? Jesus just says, do you have any fish? I know you don't. Bring some of that fish I gave you and let's eat. One of the, 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 the keystone things about having a walk with Jesus, that even if you're backslidden, Jesus is ready and willing to forgive and to put you back on track. That's, that's a promise from the word of God that Jesus will always accept one of his and he will put you back on the right track. And so that also puts a little bit of onus on us to realize the only reason why we're not on track is because we chose not to be on track. Because Jesus makes it a point that he will always bring us back. He will always invite us to come and eat. He will always invite us to put our nets on the other side of the boat. Jesus always invites us to trust him for provision. Because one of the things that happens when we start coasting uh, spiritually is that we start relying on who for stuff? Us. Our talents. Our abilities. Right? Our family, where we come from, what job we have, who we know. We start relying on all the things that, that Jesus says, throw away and follow me. We go back to those things and we start trusting in things that never really did us any good to begin with. So here's a question that I hope that you'd be asking. Rob, that sounds great, that sounds good, but you don't understand how far gone I am. Yes, it's only August and I've been coasting since June, but it's been a long ride. Because, you know, it doesn't take that long, right? You know that, right? It doesn't take that long. A few weeks here, a few days there. We stop, we stop praying for a day or so. We get tired. We sleep in. We do all this stuff. The next thing you know, who's Jesus? We don't know who he is. We, we don't even recognize him anymore. That's what happens. And so one of the, 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 the books of the Bible that um, I learned early uh, when, I, when I got saved, and one that really means a lot to me, is the letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. So let's go to Philippians, and I want us to go to Philippians chapter 3. So Jesus has this faithfulness. He has this provision that he gives us. And, you know, it's never too late to get back to following Jesus. And so it's only when we decide to take time out and not. So the second thing I want you to see, after, after we look at provision, and after we look at faithfulness, I want us to look at the priorities that we start putting in our life. And so this is, um, this is something that I think you should consider. If, you're, if, you, if you fell away and you've maybe coasted, and maybe right now you're, you're thinking like, you know, I, I don't think I'm as close to Jesus as I was before. One of the things that we should be asking ourselves is this. How do we get rid of the stuff that we added? So I was talking to my wife last night. We're, we're in, we're in the, the bedroom and we're unpacking boxes. And I'm like, how do we have so much stuff? I remembered we made this deal that we were going to purge before we left. And I know we purged because we threw out a lot of trash. Yet somehow, miraculously, we have all this stuff still. There's all these things. I, I, didn't, I thought we threw this out. I don't remember when we got this. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm looking through all of our boxes and bags. And I'm like, I, didn't, I don't think we had this much stuff. And you know, the same thing is true with your life. You, you start coasting spiritually. You're going to look and you're going to see you have a lot of baggage from when you coasted. 
It, you didn't purge anything. You added stuff. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Now that we understand that we're supposed to be back at it, getting back towards Jesus, how do we get rid of all this stuff, this baggage? Maybe, it's, maybe the question is this. I don't think I can get back. Maybe I, I feel that because I've already backslidden, Jesus is not going to accept me. Or maybe it's so hard, I don't think I'm ever going to get back to where I was. How in the world do I now again put Jesus in the center when he hasn't been for so long? How do we do that? For some of us, we get really melancholy and we start thinking, there's, there's no, I've messed up so bad, there's no way Jesus will accept me, I'm always going to be a failure, I'm just going to stick with this second-rate Christianity because I'm never going to mount up to it, I always continue to fail. Maybe some of us feel that way. And so I want us to look at Philippians chapter 3, and this is a letter that, that the Apostle Paul writes uh, to a church uh, in Macedonia, one of the, the first churches that he, that he uh, plants when he gets to Macedonia, and it's a church that has the people like the Philippian jailer in it, and Lydia, who, who sold a, a lot of different things, a, a Christian businesswoman, and this is the church that, that he's writing to, and he, the, the subject of this letter, while he's writing from jail, is joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Continue to rejoice. This is where he will say, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is this letter. And in the middle of it, of chapter 3, he talks about running this race. And he talks about, he, he, uh, he puts the analogy of the Christian life about running a race. And the way he puts it, he says that, yo, I, I have, I'm a Jew, I'm a Pharisee, I'm not just a Jew, I'm a super Jew. You should see how Jewish I am. I know everything about the law. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I come from this pedigree stock. I know everything. I memorize all books of the Bible, all these different things. And then he takes all of his accomplishments and he says this. To know Jesus makes all this stuff junk. Who I am, who I was, my, my, my culture, my, my, my talents, my abilities, my, 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 my history, everything is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And he says that there's nothing better than knowing Jesus. He says to simply know him and to be found in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And as he's writing this in jail, he's telling the, the, the Philippians, this is what needs to be the central theme of your life, to know Jesus. Not to know about him, to know him. To, to know him in, in an intimate way as our Savior. More than just a friend, but as the one that is what? The central theme and the sum total of our life. So in the middle of this passage, and I'll pick up in verse 12, he says this. Okay, he says, the goal is to know him. Verse 10 says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So he's looking forward to the future saying, I, I, right now I'm suffering and one day because Jesus rose again from the grave, I believe he believes that he will rise again from the grave. And so he's looking forward. He has hope. He has faith for the future. He goes, okay, so how, how then do I know Jesus? How then do I shed all the things that I used to be? How, how do I not get ticked off that I'm in jail? How do I do all of these things? How do I move forward? In verse 12, he says this, not that I've already reached the goal. Step one, you're not perfect. You ain't going to be perfect. At the rock, there's no perfect people allowed. 
If you're perfect, we need you to leave now because you're messing up the place. He goes, I, I, I'm not there yet, okay? That's step one. In order to get back to where we need to be so God can start moving us forward, we have to recognize I'm not there yet. I'm not at this goal. And if we start saying that I'm at the goal, then you're not at the goal. In fact, if you're someone that says that you're at the goal, you're probably further than the rest of us are. I have not reached the goal. Or I am already perfect. Now in this instance, that's the Greek word that means mature. But I think we also can make the analogy that none of us here are perfect. None of us here have arrived. But he says this, but I make every effort to take hold of it. What? The goal. Because I already have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. This is, this is nuts. This is insane. This is like literally running a race, already having the gold medal in your hand, but still running it anyway because I know what's coming. It's like somebody says, man, you already won, but I'm going to need you to run that race anyway. And he goes, how? How am I able to run a race that I already have the prize for, but still keep the perseverance to run it? Because Jesus Christ has a hold of us. How do you take hold of Jesus? Recognizing Jesus has already taken hold of you. It has nothing to do. You did not earn your salvation. You didn't seek after Jesus. No one seeks after God. Jesus found you and saved you. Jesus made, he, he didn't do it for everybody. It wasn't like there was this radio beacon and you were the one that decided to go, I want Jesus. You never wanted him. He wanted you. And he moved through history in order to get you to the place that you would accept him as your Lord and Savior. That's how much God loves you. He moved through history so that you would be exactly where he wanted you to be, so you to hear the gospel message, so that you could take a hold of him because he already took a hold of you. How do we run the race? Recognizing Jesus is running it for us. And simply holding on to him, recognizing that he is the one that's doing it for us. Brothers and sisters, I, have not, I do not consider myself to have already taken hold of it, but this is what I do. How do we keep this in check? How do we keep remembering that Jesus has a hold of us? The one thing you do, forget what's behind and reach forward to what's ahead. So that means this, okay? So for Paul, he doesn't remember, Paul lists basically his CV, his resume of his entire life, how great he was as a Pharisee and how he comes from the right family, has the right privilege and all these different things. And he goes, all that stuff, I don't reach for it anymore. So for some of us, it's positive things in our lives. Some of us, it's that, you know, we have money, we have prestige, we have the right type of family, we have religion, we, we come from, we've been in church our whole lives, all that stuff, we don't look back to that anymore. Because think about it, who in the world runs a race looking backwards? Imagine, the, the, the Olympics that just, if, if anybody watched the Olympics, I wasn't sure if anybody here did because nobody really watched it, but I heard that when you run, that's another thing, running is not my thing, but like, unless there's like a buffet out there, but you know, you know what I'm saying. But like, if, if you're running and all of a sudden you're running forward, and all, I mean, who's looking backwards? Who does that? It makes no sense to look backwards when you're running forwards in a race, but that's what we do. Why do we think we're gonna win the race today? 
because I won it last time and I always win. We live our Christian life that way. Why am I, why am I such a great Christian? Because my family were great Christians. Because we've always gone to church. Because I'm doing what I always do. Instead of really realizing the only reason you do anything good is because of Jesus. Jesus put it this way. Without me, you can do nothing. And I looked it up in the Greek. It means nothing. It means nothing. Nothing good that we do is because of us. It's because of God's grace and mercy in our life. So he stops reaching behind and he goes, he reached toward, and this is the goal. Verse 14, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So what's this prize, guys? What is this prize that Jesus has for us? What is it? Well, I mean, hopefully the first thing is that we're going to be with Jesus, right? But there's also this, 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 uh, this theme in the Bible that there are these crowns that we get because of the things that we've done for Jesus. Whether it's that we've led a soul to Christ or we've suffered all these different things. And the idea is that these crowns that we get, just like someone would get a gold medal at the end of the Olympics, we get these things as we stand before Jesus finally one day and the Bible says that we are able to give these things back to him. So it's not about, the goal is not about a crown to keep. The goal is about not being empty-handed to give Jesus something. And so he says that's the goal. The goal is to be able to present myself and to present what God has allowed me to do to say thank you for what he's done for me. So this is why verse 15 is now where it is. Therefore, all the stuff we just said, right? Let all of us who are what? We don't normally think this way, naturally speaking. We don't think about giving prizes up. We don't think about goals being Jesus. All the stuff that we think of is stuff that brings us glory, stuff that brings us honor, stuff that makes us look good. And he says, so those of us who are mature, that, that we have grown up, that we've had this, this way that we're thinking differently, he says, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. As you continue to mature, God will show you what the goal should be. But then in 16, he finishes up, he says this, in any case, I can go back to 16, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we've attained. Now let's go to the next verse there. Join me in imitating, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul says, hey, this is a lot to take in. You are, you know, we, we've, we're, you're, you're at a, you may be at a place in your life that you've, that you've been closer to Jesus than you are before. You may be like the disciples. And now he's telling you to stop looking backwards. Start looking forward to what's ahead. The goal is Jesus. The goal is to know Jesus. That is our goal. That is the theme of our life, to know Jesus. And he says, those of you that have started to see this goal and have started to run the race, show others how to do the same thing. Because the grace of God allows us as a church family to lean on one another in order to grow. You don't live on an island. And I'm so, I'm, I, know, I know Hillary Clinton said it, but it does take a village sometimes. It does take us being invested in each other's lives. 
It does. One of the, one of the prayers that I have for, for our staff here is that the, the, the three pastors and Z, that we and our families grow closer together, not only to make sure that if we have any kind of beef that comes up between us, that it's squashed immediately, but that we continue to be able to serve closer together. And that same prayer that needs to be trickled down for us as a church, for myself and the elders, for, for, our, for our, our management board, but for us as a church, that all of us, we are growing closer together because this is how we're able to remove the backsliding and move forward when all of us are moving the same way. And so we may not all be at the same spot, but we all should be moving in the same direction together. So this is what he says in verse 18, for I've often told you, and I say this with many tears, that, there me that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why do we stay together? Because there are a lot of people who aren't doing this. And their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they're focused on what? What does he say? Earthly things. This is the difference between us, the way we used to be, and what we're heading towards. That we reach forth towards the things that are heavenly instead of being so earthly about things. When you think and you dwell on earthly things, that's what causes us to be backslidden. And why? Verse 20. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. It's not here. And so we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus. Why can we be different? Because we're not from here anymore. And then he'll go on the chapter to talk about how our bodies will be transformed. And he talks about the power of this resurrection. So, so my friends, the whole goal that you and I have to have as we try to transition back into the school year, things getting busier, because it's not going to get easier, it's going to get harder. That we recognize that Jesus just can't be on a list. Jesus has to be the central theme of our life. And for us to recognize that Jesus needs to be the central theme, we first may have to recognize that he may not be right now. And so for today, my prayer for us as we close and the worship team comes back up, I want you to, I want you to pray with me this. I want you to pray that God would reveal where we are spiritually. And as he reveals where we are spiritually, that we would make the, the, the decision that God has for us to make. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to have a time of just us praying together as a church. I want you to, to recognize maybe there's some repentance that needs to happen. That means we change our mind about who God is and who we are and we recognize where we are. And we allow God to have that, that freedom to show us exactly where we are spiritually. And as we begin to see that there are some things that need to be changed in our life, that we ask God, we beg God to revive us and to renew us as he's forgiving us, as he's already forgiven us, as he, as he cleanses us, as we repent, that he would revive us and renew us that we would reach towards the goal. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask a, a, a question here. Maybe you're thinking about this, and you, you may have been coming to The Rock for a long time, or maybe this is your first Sunday, and you just want to check out who this new guy is. Let me ask you a question. Maybe you're here, and heads are bowed, eyes are closed, Christians are praying, people are doing business with God. I want to ask this. Is there a possibility that maybe you don't feel so close to God because Maybe you've never really connected with Jesus as your personal savior. 
Maybe you've gone to church, but you've heard it before. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Maybe you've heard it in this old school way, which is really biblical. If you were to die today, would you be 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven? Is Jesus Christ your Savior so much so that you know that if you were to die, that you'd go to heaven? Has he forgiven you of your sins? If you say, yo, Rob, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I, I got religion down. I don't know whether or not I know Jesus as my Savior so much so that I know that I'm on my way to heaven. That kind of hit me a little bit, Rob. Can you please pray for me? If that's, if that's where you are, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's going to embarrass you, no one's going to call you out, I want to pray for you. You say, Rob, I'm not sure that Jesus is my Savior. I'm not sure that if I was to die, I'd go to heaven. I, I, it's more than me being back at it. I don't even think I'm in it. Can you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand just so I can pray for you? Thank you. Is there anyone else I would say, I'm just not sure? Thank you for your honesty. You know, the, the Word of God says when somebody recognizes their, their condition, there's some things that, that we need to recognize. The first thing is this. The Bible has says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What that means is that there's nobody perfect here, but the thing is, because we're not perfect, we've thought things, we've said things, we've done things that have displeased God. We have sinned before God. Every single one of us has. And so that's why we feel disconnected from God, because we are. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. So that means several things. That means that you and I were not only separated from God, but because of our sin, we're not supposed to even spend eternity from God. That's why you feel that way. That's why you don't think you're 100% sure you're on your way to heaven, because you may not be. The wages of sin is death. This is, that's our payment for being people who displease God by our thoughts, our words, and our actions. But the Bible says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God demonstrated his love toward us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's what Jesus did for you. For those of you that raised your hand, here's what Jesus did for you. He knew before time even began that you'd be sitting in this room right now and someone would ask you a question and to let you know what the word of God says. And so he knew that you weren't sure that you're on your way to heaven. He knows how you can be sure you're on your way to heaven. Jesus wants to be your savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died to pay the price for your sins. Jesus doesn't want you to get better. Jesus doesn't want you to be reformed. Jesus wants you to realize the only way that you can be sure that you're forgiven of your sins is to ask Jesus Christ to be your savior. And the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you raised your hand, everybody's heads are bowed, everybody's eyes are closed. If you raised your hand, can you just take one glimpse moment of courage and look at me real quickly? If you raised your hand. So, God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, to die for your sins. Which means that, he, that Jesus promises, because he's God, only God could do this. He could take the price of your sins and when he died he can pay for the, for the sins you did yesterday, the sins that you did today, and the ones that we'll all do tomorrow. Jesus paid for those. And so all he wants you to do is, and we talk to God through prayer, he just wants you to talk to him and say, hey, I know I'm a sinner. I'm not sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I want Jesus to be my savior. Can you, Lord, please save me?
So I want you, so if you want to do that, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just, you're not going to repeat after me. I'm going to kind of tell you what you can say to Jesus, but I want you to mean what you say, okay? So we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, and so I'm going to introduce you to Jesus, and then I'm going to ask you to pray, okay? Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for those who recognize that there's, that there's a, a spiritual condition that needs to be taken care of. And so uh, uh, these are my friends, and, I, and, I, and I, I pray that you would hear what they would say. So if you raise your hand, I want you to, to tell Jesus just something like this. Briefly, let him know that you know that you're a sinner. So you can say, Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've done things, I've said things, I've thought things that displeased you. And Rob asked if we were sure if we're on our way to heaven. I, I'm not. And I know that you died for my sin. So Lord, can, can, you, can you please save me? I know you died for my sins. Lord, please save me. Please forgive me of my sins that I did yesterday, the ones I'll do today, and the ones that I'll do tomorrow. So if you prayed that, I want you to thank God real quickly. Thank Jesus and thank him for saving you. And, if, and when you're done, I want you to say amen and then look at me again. So here's what the Bible says. If you asked Jesus to save you, the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's not a question of whether or not you did it, you did a good job. He loves you, he calls you, he saved you. That's why you're here today. He wanted you to be saved. But he also says this, the angels rejoice in heaven over one person who comes to Jesus. And you now have a room of brothers and sisters who also rejoice for you as well. So as we worship, I want you to recognize now you're worshiping as a child of the king. So Dustin and the team is going to lead us in worship. If you called on Jesus, I want you, when you're done, just to come, just to say hi to me. I know you look like a race, so come say hi to me real quick. Introduce yourself, and I want to help you on the next step of your journey, okay? All right, Dustin, why don't you lead us?